Welcome to the sermon podcast from First United Methodist Church in downtown Bentonville. If you have questions related to what you hear today, or just want to find out more about the ministries at First United Methodist Church, please visit us online at fumcbentonville.org, or check us out on Facebook, Instagram, or TikTok. We are entering a new series today. We are almost done reading through the Bible, and we're heading into the prophets to, to bring this to a close. And so our series for the next few weeks is called Prophet to the Generations, and I'll be talking a little bit more about that in the course of the sermon. But one of the things that I wanted us to do was kind of get in our mind what a prophet is. And so with that in mind, I'm going to read to you this passage from Isaiah 42. There are a lot of folks that think that this makes reference to Cyrus, who is a leader that's going to set the people free. There are some that believe that it makes reference to Jesus. Um, I think what this passage that I'm about to read for you is, is the best biblical definition of a prophet that we've got. So hear now uh, the word of the Lord with that in mind. But here is my servant, the one I uphold, my chosen, who brings me delight. I put my spirit upon him. He will bring justice to the nations. He won't cry out or shout aloud or make his voice heard in public. He won't break a bruised reed. He won't extinguish a faint wick, but he will surely bring justice. He won't be extinguished or broken until he has established justice in the land. The coastlands await his teaching. God the Lord says, the one who created the heavens, the one who stretched them out, the one who spread out the earth and its offspring, the one who gave breath to its people and life to those who walk on it. I, the Lord, have called you for a good reason. I will grasp your hand and guard you and give you as a covenant to the people, as a light to the nations, to open blind eyes, to lead the prisoners from prison and those who sit in darkness from the dungeon. I am the Lord, that is my name. I don't hand out my glory to others or my praise to idols. The things announced in the past, look, they've already happened. But I'm declaring new things. Before they even appear, I tell you about them. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord, open our hearts, our minds, and our eyes that we might see and know the word you have for us this day. In your holy name we pray. Amen. So I mentioned that I have volunteered to help with Vacation Bible School this year, and Allison very wisely has put me in charge of tech, and I'm grateful for that, because I don't have the most auspicious um, past of having been a Vacation Bible School volunteer. The very first time I volunteered for Vacation Bible School, I was in a very tiny church. It was this first church that I belonged to. And anything that we did, it was all hands on deck. Everybody had to be involved. So I, I was going to help out with Vacation Bible School. And the first year, she made me a co-teacher. The, the organizer made me a co-teacher with another teacher. We had the first and second graders. And I was grateful because I was paired with an actual second grade teacher. And she was wonderful. And I was not so much. Mostly what I did was I just passed out coloring sheets to the kids and, you know, tried to be as unobtrusive as possible. But there was a time when the teacher had to go down the hall to get something. And it was not 30 seconds, y'all. And one of the kids said, when is the other teacher coming back? (laughs) Now, the second year I volunteered, they actually put me in charge of a classroom, but they gave me the sixth graders. Oh, no, y'all. Sixth graders are my jam. 
I love middle school and junior high. That that is that is uh, they're so amazing. They're so creative. They're trying things out. They're trying to figure out who they are. I love to go into that space. I did much better the second year, but that year, one of the things that I had to do was teach them about the prophets. So I said to my sixth graders, I said, "Who here can tell me what a prophet is?" And one of the little girls' hands shot right up, and she said, "A prophet is the money that a business makes." That is 100% correct. And I told her that. I said, yes, that is true. P-R-O-F-I-T is the money a business makes. But I'm asking about P-R-O-P-H-E-T. And they didn't know as much about those prophets as they did the other one. Uh, but it was a good reminder to me that we can't always take for granted what people know about in the church. And sometimes we toss these words around and we just assume everybody knows what we're talking about. We don't always stop and explain. So since we're going to be in the prophets for several weeks, I thought it would be a good idea for us to stop and center around what a prophet is. As I mentioned, we are reading through the Bible together. And because we started with the New Testament and are ending with the Old Testament, we are coming to the end of that project, and that end will happen in the prophets for us. Now, if we were actually following the Hebrew Bible, uh, they have a different order. And you can remember the order by the name Tanakh. Tanakh stands for Torah, which is the first five books of the law, and those are the first five that they come across. And then Na for Nevaim, that's the word for prophet. So the prophets actually come second in the Hebrew Bible. And then K for Ketuvim which are the writings. And the reason that they are ordered that way has to do with how they became authoritative. So the Torah was the first and is the most authoritative for the Jewish people. The Nevi'im came next and as authoritative. And then following that, they end with the writings. Now we have a different order to ours. And the reason that our order is different is that so many of the prophetic passages we see and identify as Christians as pointing to Jesus. And so for us, it's a good bridge to get us into the New Testament. So that's why there's a little bit of a different ordering there. But before we just jump and say those point to Jesus, I think we need to stop and take them as they are and reflect on who the prophets were and what they were speaking into and what they meant and what they mean still in their own reality. And so, as I mentioned, I think this passage from Isaiah gives us a fantastic definition of what makes a prophet. So I'm gonna step us through that definition right now. So as is mentioned in this passage, they are a chosen servant of God. So not everybody is a prophet. And even prophets are not always prophets forever. They may be called in just a particular season or in a particular moment to be prophetic. So it is a very particular reality of sharing a challenge of the word of God's justice to God's people. God's spirit is upon the person who is called to be a prophet. They are energized by the spirit. They are animated by the spirit. They are given direction and guidance by God's Holy Spirit in what they are to do and how they are to bring the word to God's people. And the word that they bring is to bring justice to the nations. Every prophet is challenging the way things are. They are noting that it is not perfect, that there are problems, and usually has to do with 
discrimination, with imbalances in power, with unequal distribution of wealth. They are challenging the fact that we live in a broken world in which some are oppressed and some are doing the oppression. And so they are really pushing back on that reality, and that is what a prophet is called to do. Now, there's a line in here that says they won't cry or shout loud. This is probably the one exception line in here. Isaiah didn't have to cry or shout loud because Isaiah had the ear of the king. And if you have the ear of the king, you don't have to say anything very loudly because if you can convince the king, then that impacts the reality of everyone that the king rules over. But there are some prophets that are out there shouting loud. Amos comes to mind, right? There are some that are not so quiet. It mentions that they won't break a bruised reed. So the prophets come in and they're speaking to a people that is, as I mentioned, many of them are oppressed. They are in times of great stress and trial. And it is not the prophet's job to break them. It is actually the prophet's job to try to bring them to life to try to get them to a place of healing. And it is never the prophet's job, with one exception, it's never the prophet's job to be outside of the people and judging the people. They are one of the people and walking right alongside with the people and whatever happens to the people is going to happen to them as well. Because they are called into a mission that is of love. It is a challenging one, but it is a message and a mission of love. The prophets won't be extinguished until justice happens. Well, does that mean Isaiah is still walking around with us? Because we still got problems with justice, right? Well, no. Isaiah is not still walking around with us. But we are still reading Isaiah. We are still reading Jeremiah. We are still reading Hosea. We are occasionally reading Habakkuk. You know, they're still around. Right? And so until the fullness of God's justice breaks out, when that happens, we won't need the prophets anymore. But until that moment, the word of the prophets and their reality are still with us. The coastlands await their teaching. So that's just a way of saying from end to end of the earth, these teachings are needed. And even though the prophets are speaking in a particular moment of history, that call to change things is universal. That call to be agents of justice is universal. It does not matter who you are and where you live and what time and what place. It is still needed. So from coast to coast, from end to end of the earth, their teaching is needed. They are given as a covenant to the people to reveal God. So as I mentioned, they are not outside of the people. They are right alongside the people. And in fact, they represent that bridge between the people and God because they are bringing God's word to the people and because they are bringing the pain of the people to God they stand in between them and act as that bridging factor that holds the covenant or relationship between God and the people together and then there's this last little line here now whenever I ask people what can you tell me about profits if they aren't talking about the money made um, they will almost always say a prophet tells the future and that's true but we need to sort of have a, a, a tempered understanding of that it's not that they have a crystal ball it's not that they're necessarily told specifics of what's going to happen it's that prophets are given deep insight into humanity 
and they understand, based on how this people is behaving, what the consequences are going to be. And they're trying to head them off from those dangerous consequences. It's just a little bit like if you have raised children, and particularly if you've raised more than one, you may know that you can say, don't do this, and one of your kids is going to listen, and the other one, not so much, right? And you know that, you understand that about that child, and you want a different reality for that child, but you also understand we're probably walking through the struggle. And so a prophet is called to announce to the people, this is going to happen. If you keep going this way, this is going to happen. It's just that they understand that reality and are bringing that to the people. Now, there are a couple of other things to remember about prophets that aren't specifically mentioned in this passage. One is that prophets are almost always called to symbolic action. So some of you, we've been reading through Isaiah the past couple of weeks. And some of you caught that Isaiah had to walk around naked for three years. Those of you that have not been reading along in your Bible may now be curious. I encourage you to pick it up and see all the strange things that happen. Prophets are fun. And what the prophets are called to do, someone actually, a couple of weeks ago in one of my studies, they said, do you think Isaiah really walked around naked for three years? And Don Hall, who's been helping me lead that class, said, well, why do you think they remembered him? Right? So, <laughs> I mean, yes, yes, the prophets are called to do odd things. And they're called to that for a couple of reasons. One is that sometimes people don't understand God unless a concrete reality is brought down to them and made clear in that way so Isaiah is basically saying to them you're about to be stripped of everything and then the other reason that they do symbolic actions is people pay more attention to symbolic actions than they do words they get people's attention in a different way now another thing about prophets is they're not supposed to make it about themselves remember it's not about their own privilege they're gonna go through everything that the people are going to go to the exception that I made reference to is Jonah Jonah is a hilarious prophetic book because it makes fun of the whole prophetic reality it is a parody of prophets but it is a beautiful parody of prophets because it draws so much attention so Jonah does not want the Ninevites to survive he has made it clear he wants God to wipe them off the face of the earth and that's his perspective, and he would really like his perspective to be honored, right? This is going to work out for me, God. And he gets mad and tries to leave because he knows that's not how God works, right? And in fact, Jonah should not be considered a prophet because one of the ways that we know a prophet is a prophet is because what they say does come true. Well, Jonah walks through Nineveh and says, the Lord's going to destroy you. He doesn't say, the Lord's going to destroy you unless you repent. It's just that the Ninevite king goes, oh, if we're being told the Lord's going to destroy us, we should probably repent. So the king tells everybody to repent. Even the animals are in sackcloth and ashes, right? And so Jonah goes up, sit on the mountain and wait for God to destroy him. God doesn't destroy him. And Jonah's like, see, I knew this was what was going to happen. So what Jonah preached actually didn't happen. So he shouldn't be a prophet except that he may be the most successful prophet ever because he actually got a whole people to repent. Regardless, it was never supposed to be about Jonah. It's always, always supposed to be about the people. And then another thing about the prophets is that they are speaking into a particular time and to a particular moment. Now, if that's the case, why are we still reading them? That time and that moment has passed, right? Why are they even in our Bible? 
Well, it is true that the prophets are time-bound. They are speaking to that reality. However, it is also true that the prophets are timeless. And the reason that they are timeless is because, I don't know if y'all have noticed, but history has a way of repeating itself. You know, we're told history will repeat itself. Those who are ignorant of history are doomed to repeat it. We must be just the most ignorant things on the planet. Because we keep seeing the same things over and over and over again. And because those things keep repeating, because we still need a message of justice, because the reign of God is not in its fullness yet, then the word of the prophet still matters to us and still speaks to us. So in this next series that we're going to do, which is called Prophet to the Generations, we're going to see how the prophets continue to speak into our world and meet us in the moments in which we are. And the way we're going to do that is we're going to pair one of the major prophets with each of the major generations that are alive today. Okay? So we will have Isaiah with the silent generation, Jeremiah with the boomers, Ezekiel goes with the millennials, Daniel gets Gen Z, and Hosea with Gen X. And we will also have preachers from roughly that generation, although Don likes to point out he is not a silent, he is a boomer but he's an early boomer, so he's going to have to cover the silence. Ray's going to do the boomers. Kristen will preach about the millennials. We have a youth, Brooke Tilly, who's going to do Gen Z for us, and I will cover Gen X. And I'm going to say that it's the end of summer. Let's have some fun with this. So you are all encouraged, choir, y'all, to dress the eras. <laughs> We're going to have Bentonville's own eras tour, right? So, next week, 40s and 50s. Dress the 40s and 50s. The following week, 60s and 70s. Then we're skipping the 80s and 90s. We'll be back. We're skipping the 80s and 90s, so we'll go 60s and 70s, 2000s and 2010s. Then we'll have the 2020s. For that one, you're all encouraged to wear a nice shirt and pajama bottoms, because we will dress for Zoom. <laughs> We will finish with the 80s and 90s, and Ken keeps accusing me it's because that's my generation. No, there's a reason, and we'll get there. But, but anyway, so you don't have to, but you are welcome to dress the eras over the next five weeks. And remember that we will finish that series out August 13th with the church dance, and all the eras will be represented at that dance. All the dances will be represented at that dance. And we're doing that not just to better understand the prophets, which is very important for us, but it's also to better understand each other. Because how do we love one another better? But to understand one another better, right? And that is much of what the prophets are driving to as well. I was thinking about that. You know, I brought an aluminum can for vacation Bible school this week. And as I picked it up, a memory from my childhood triggered. I remember being told to bring an aluminum can to school. This is show you the difference in the generations. I had to bring an aluminum can to school and a hammer. Right? You should see the look on the kids' faces. They're like... <laughs> Yeah, you've never been told to bring a hammer to school, right? Who unleashes a bunch of elementary school children with a hammer? But we were to bring a hammer, and then we taped a little design on the outside of our can. We froze water in it, and then we hammered, because they provided the nail. We hammered around the edge of the design so that we had the design, and then we could put a candle, because we're also going to give kids fire. We could put a candle inside, and our little design would show up. That was Gen X. We came to school with hammers.
All right? And it's important to understand those differences so that we can understand each other better and love one another better because that is what we are called to do. We have been sharing in this Bible year together and the prophets, I think, are the perfect place to draw to the close because they are still meaningful for us. They do still speak into our world. They bring us hope in the midst of struggle. They call us to justice and recognize that we are not yet in fullness of the reign of God. And we still need to understand and love one another better, and that is what the prophets are trying to get us to do. So, my friends, let me just say this. It still profits us to study the prophets. Amen. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the sermon podcast from First United Methodist Church in downtown Bentonville. If you would like to let us know you were here, follow the link below to connect. To participate in worship through giving, you can give online at fumcbentonville.org or on Venmo at fumcbentonville. FUMC Bentonville welcomes all. Because we believe the communion table is God's table, we invite everyone into our church family. We welcome and celebrate every race, gender, gender identity, sexual orientation, marital status, age, physical and mental ability, national origin, economic station, and political ideology. We come together in action and outreach, aspiring to follow Jesus' example of radical hospitality, love, and grace as a transformative movement in our community. Please join us for worship on Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m., both in person and on Facebook Live. All are welcome, and we'd love to have you with us. Grace and peace.